Welcome to Thrive Church Online. We are here to know God, to grow in Him, and go. We hope you feel encouraged and equipped through this week's message. Man, we're glad you're here. Um, I thank all my Duke fans for for loving me through wearing my my Tennessee Vol shirt. We have had a, a rough couple decades of football and basketball. I feel like we're finally back. Um, I don't know where back is. And I say we like I actually ever went to the University of Tennessee. I did not. Um, I've been to some football games there, a couple of basketball games, uh, but I count myself as a we. Isn't it funny how you, how you associate yourself with being part of something that you may or may not be a part of? I think it's one of the great things about the church is we have, a part, uh, we have a, the, the, the opportunity to be a part of something that's really deeper than what is normal. Like, I can wear a Vol shirt does not make me a Vol. Uh, I can wear a Duke shirt does not make me uh, a, a Duke fan. I, I, I think, though, that one of the reasons I love wearing so much uh, Thrive swag because um, I, I cleaned my closet out this week. thought you clapped for that, but you didn't see it before. Um, but I cleaned my closet out, and so I started laying. I, I, I love my shirts and pants and stuff by what kind they are. So, like, I've got, like, two polo shirts, so they're together. Um, I don't know. I just, I'm not a polo guy. And then I've got, like, all my plaid shirts, short sleeve, long sleeve. And then I've got all my T-shirts. Um, and so I started taking them out and, like, organizing them. And like 80% of my t-shirts have something to do with Thrive. And like they went back, and this is just free for people who've been here a minute. Uh, they go through all the evolutions of those shirts. Um, and it, it's just so neat to watch. We're actually getting ready to drop a new shirt in a couple of weeks. We're so excited about that. And yeah. And uh, so it's, it's definitely going to be something you want. So it's just cool, man. It's cool to be a part of something um, that's bigger than what it is. And I'll just be honest. Um, I wearing stuff from here because of what God's doing in and through us means more than than any college swag that I could wear. So, uh, But it give, did me a chance to wear my orange shoes, which is always, for me, a good day. So there you go. So uh, we're in a series called Journey to the Cross. I think that... Um, I think that the awesome thing about a journey to the cross, because I love Easter, and and if you've never been baptized the week after Easter, uh, weather permit, we're kind of keeping an eye on that. We're going to do a baptism. Um, so if you've never been baptized, I think last year we had 12 sign up, and we did like, was it 16 or something? It was crazy. Um, uh, just an amazing way to express what God has done inside your heart uh, to the world around you. Um, so if you'd like to be involved in that, um, just, just watch for further details. But we're watching uh, the journey of Jesus from like um, uh, his whole life to the cross, and and that's hard to do like in five weeks or four weeks, like because Jesus did like all this ridiculous stuff. Um, I love last week uh, JC taught uh, about the wedding of Cana, which makes no sense to me. Like if I am Jesus and I'm going to bust on the scene, I want to do like some nah, like like I want to levitate. I want like I want to do something like like godly like like you know what I mean like oh, what does Jesus do? Jesus shows up at a party, gets in an argument with his mom, and turns water into wine. That's not what I expect Jesus to do for his first. I'm here. And first of all, we should all know he's the Son of God because he called his mom woman and got away with it. So my mom had me. 
And if I looked at my, now my mom, if you don't know my mom, my mom is four foot nothing. She's like two inches from being a leprechaun. I'm just, she is little. I'm picking on her. But let me tell you something. If I look at her, like literally I can put my arm like this on her head. If I looked at my mom and said, woman, and finished any other sentence, I'm just going to tell you this right now. I will see Jesus. (laughs) It's going to happen. But but here's the thing that I think that the wedding of Cana really revealed to me, and, and there's so many ways you can look at it. One, Jesus defied time, and he defied, defined because he not only turned water into wine, but he turned it into wine that was old, because wine, in order to be the best wine, has to be old wine, right? Um, but So Jesus defied time. He did all this stuff. But I think for me, the thing that, that, that really spoke to me was Jesus did the unexpected. Jesus never operates the way we think he should. He doesn't go into boxes. Like if I'm Jesus and I'm busting on the scene, I'm like doing it big. Like I want like neon signs pointing to me going, this is the Messiah. Jesus started with water into wine at somebody's wedding. He started on a small stage in front of people that weren't even going to really process what he did. Because I think this, I think that Jesus wants to show up in your life in ways that you don't expect in times that you don't expect him doing things that you don't expect him to do. So for me, in the journey, I think when you leave the wedding of Cana and you kind of, I'm in this season where I'm reading like all the, all the, the gospels um, because I love the different, now I'm going to be honest with you, I skip parts that Matthew writes, like the beginning, he kind of, I think he takes a while to get into the rhythm. Um, just being honest, like I like the birth of Jesus, but not like in April. So like I'm, I'm kind of, kind of moving into those moments, but, but I've, I really leaned into the gospels because for me, you can't really look at Jesus much beyond the start of his ministry before you start looking at miracles. Like, I feel like, like, like Jesus, one of the main things that he did to come to demonstrate his power on earth was he did miracles in people's lives. And so the Bible records this, and, and, and people argue the number a little bit. So I'm going to say about, is that fair? So we don't get into a theological debate over something we shouldn't. But there are about 37 recorded miracles that Jesus does. Think about it, 37. Now, one of the disciples makes this statement. He said that, that these are only the things that we recorded. For if we were to record everything that Jesus did, the books, all the books on all the earth could not hold them. Right there, you've, I want to know what's not written. That's like this. Like I started our leaders meeting today, and there was something I have to announce next week. I got ready to announce it too early. So I went, oh, yeah, I'll tell you about it next week. And somebody goes, dude, don't do that to me. Just tell me. So then I felt like I had to make something up. to, And that's not a way to start a Sunday for a pastor. So I, I just wonder if, 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 if we don't live in, a, in enough expectation of the miraculous hand of God at work in our life. Because if Jesus did 37 miracles, and, and arguably He was on earth about three and a half years, um, and those were just the ones recorded. I just wonder if when Jesus said, I plan on doing greater in your life, after that I go and sit at the right hand of the Father, if maybe we undersell who and what God is sometimes. And so I just, I sat there and um, so I talked to somebody this week and I said, man, I'm preaching on miracles this week. And he said, oh, oh, I got a great example for you. I'm like, okay, tell me your great example. That always makes me nervous when people have a great example for me. And they said, well, I went through Taco Bell and I ordered one taco and they gave me two. It's a miracle. No, what's a miracle is if your hand smells like anything other than that beef two weeks later, right? But like, but so I, it really, it, it resonated with me that we need to define, if we're going to talk about the miracles of Jesus, what we really need to do is know what we're talking about so that we're all talking off the same playbook. 
And so a miracle defined is this, an extraordinary event that, that is taken as a sign of the supernatural power of God. That's not a biblical definition, that's Webster's definition. Basically what Webster says is this, is if you really want to know it's God, or if it's a miracle, is it something so much bigger than what you are that it automatically points you to God? Because when we read the Bible about the 37 miracles that Jesus does, all of those things are so much bigger than what people could have done. But if you read over and over, Jesus does the miraculous in ways that people don't even, people never saw coming. Like, like, and this isn't one of my examples, but, but these two dudes show up and they're blind. And like, hey Jesus, will you heal us of being blind? Now I'm going to be honest with you. If Jesus was here and I was blind, I would walk up to Him and what would I expect? I would expect like Him to lay His hand on me or Him to pray for me or Him to... So what, what does Jesus do? He does what we don't expect. Jesus spits in the dirt. No. One, you could give me COVID. Two, there are 500 other things that you could give me that are so nasty, I don't even want to mention them from stage, right? But Jesus like spits and He basically makes a mud pie and He puts it on the first guy's eyes and that dude doesn't see it coming. <laughs> that was a bad joke. I'm so sorry. Lord, forgive me. So, But, but here's the thing. In all seriousness though, the, the, the first blind guy really didn't know what to expect. But I promise you this, if I spit in the mud and wipe it on somebody's eyes, I'm going to get a crowd reaction. Somebody went, Oh, gross. Can you believe he spit in the mud and smeared it on that dude's eyes? So if you're the second dude waiting, what do you do? On one hand, it's, on one hand it's Jesus. On one hand, it's Jesus. But on the other hand, it's spitting some dirt. So like, where, where do I fall with that? Like, and, and I think it just speaks to that point that, that, that Jesus does the miraculous, but Jesus rarely does the miraculous in the ways that we expect Him to do it. God, let me give you another example. Jesus, this great multitude of people are there and Jesus is doing miracles. And He's like, somebody comes to, to Him and says, hey Jesus, these folks are hungry, why don't you send them away? And Jesus is like, that's ah, too far to send them away. Let's just feed them. And then he looks at the disciples and says, what do you have? Well, Jesus, you're the Son of God. You should know what I have. And what I have is nothing. Because every time God gets ready to do a miracle, we realize that we don't have anything in our hand that really plays a part in it. And so what happens is he, he looks and they, they rob some kid's lunch. <laughs> because that's what Christians do. We steal kids' lunches. Like, do you see the rhythm in the inconsistency of what God does? Or, or the consistency of what God does, but the inconsistency in the method that He uses. Because otherwise what you would do is you would turn God into a genie. If I do this, this, and this, then God will do this, this, and this. Now here's what I believe. I believe that we can't manipulate God into miracles, but I believe that there are four ingredients that are in every miracle. And I just want to take a look at them because here's, here's my prayer. Um, I knew that I was going to talk about this this morning. And um, then people started dropping like flies off our worship team and, and stuff started happening and then somebody sneezed and now we all worried about COVID. It's not COVID, I promise, because it was my wife. So the point is, is this, is that there, there, I feel like there are all these distractions because there's some folks that are in the room that really need a miracle. That you came in here and you're really you're just praying and believing God. And I don't know whether it's a financial, whether it's a physical, whether it's a relational. I don't know what kind of miracle you're looking for, but I really feel like this is a season that God wanted you here um, because you need to hear what He has to say. 
So the first, the first part of a miracle is faith. Um, scripture says this um, um, in Matthew chapter 9, 27 through 31. I'm going to give you like four of these. Um, and Jesus passed um, on from there. Two blind men followed him, crying, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house of the blind man, um, the blind man came to, to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Now, can I just be honest with you? I think that's a fundamental question in anything. Like if you're here today and you need a financial breakthrough, you need a relational breakthrough, you need a spiritual breakthrough, you need an emotional breakthrough, whatever it is, the first question that you've really got to ask because it's an age-old question is, is, hey, do you really think that Jesus is, is the solution to the problem? I had a conversation with somebody this week and, and we were talking and she said, man, I love your church. And I'm like, yes, because she doesn't go here. And she said, man, I, 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 came up, I, I found out about your church and so I went and watched some videos. And can I just be honest with you? I don't know about Jesus. Okay, I'm great with that. We believe that this is a place where you can know God, grow in God, and go do something for God. But until you wrestle with the tension of who God is, you're never really going to hit the other two. I don't think you ever get out of the grow phase. I haven't anyway. So I looked at her and said, well, well, let me ask you a question. Historically, if I could prove to you that there was a Jesus, would you agree with that? She said, no, I know the history. Jesus was here. I mean, like you can look through the Roman Empire, the Jewish ledgers. You, we can establish that a guy named Jesus was here. We can put him at the time and place that the Bible puts him at. We can go to external sources, not just the Bible, and quote miracles and, and all this stuff that Jesus did in the day and the upheaval that he caused and all that. We can, we can do all that. And she said, oh, I believe in all that. I just struggle with him being born of a virgin. I struggle with him dying and coming back to life. I struggle. And I said, okay, so here's the reality. You're really not that unique. You're struggling with the same question that people have been struggling with for over 2,000 years. Is, is He really the Son of God? Because once you accept whether or not He's the Son of God, then everything else, whether you say yes or no to that question, it takes you on a journey. Now we believe that, that you should accept Him as being the Son of God. But when Jesus looks at this guy and he says, man, do you think I'm able to do this? What he's really asking is, do you believe I'm God? Do you believe that I'm the Christ? I'm the Messiah. I'm the son of the living God. Do you believe that I can do it? And for every person who's ever needed a miracle, because here there are, two, there are two people in the room, people that right now need a miracle. Or if you breathe enough oxygen for long enough, you're going to need a miracle. You're, you're going to want a baby and can't have one, and you're going to have to believe God. Or you're going to get a baby, and something's going to go on in their life, and you're going to have to believe God for a miracle. If you've ever raised a kid, what I'm telling you is the gospel. And so I sit there, and I'm like, man, there are two types of people. People that, that either need a divine move of God, or people that are going to. Either, either you've broken through or you're going to need to break through. But either way, another breakthrough is going to be needed. So he goes on and he says this. I love his answer. And they said to him, yes, Lord. And then he touched their eyes, which is the way I would expect it to go down. And he said this, according to your faith, let it be done. Now here's the problem. We all think we don't have enough faith. We base, what we do is this, we want to base what God does on how we act. How many people have ever wrestled with this? You've gone, man, you know what? God would help me if I, if, if, if I cussed a little less, if I acted a little better, if I was a better person, if I looked more Christian, 
Am I the only person that's ever wrestled with this? Like God's willingness to do something on your life somehow is related to like how good you are. Well, here's the problem with that. I had a kid. God taught me so much through raising a child um, that taught me my faith. So here's the reality. Have you ever had a kid that did not act like you wanted them to? Have you ever had a child and you like, honestly, you knew that they were a gift from God, but you thought about exercising your Amazon option with God and just sending them back? Here's the reality. Just because your child does not act like you does not mean they're not your child. I've never done anything for my child based on what he could do. Can we be honest? Until they get to be about 20, your child is a black hole. No, no, no. I don't mean that ugly. I don't mean that ugly. You feed them, and they don't give you anything back. They take in. They send out. Never anything good. I talked to a dad right before first service, and he's like, ma'am, pray for him. I have to have a talk with my kid. They're, I, they told me they mowed the yard. They're not mowing the yard. I'm going to have to lean into that. And I'm like, you know why? And they're like, why? And I said, because it's a black hole. You have expectations that they're never going to do. It doesn't make your kids bad. It just makes them kids. Well, if you look at your child that way, and what you do for them is not based on how they act, but who they are, then their identity is part of the family. What if you chose today to, to figure out that you have an identity in Christ? You are all sons and daughters of the Most High God. If you've accepted Jesus, you are in the family. And it is not based on your actions, but based on your identity that we receive from Jesus. Because we'll never be good enough. Now, does that mean that we don't try to grow? That's not at all what I'm saying. This isn't a license to go live however you want to, but it is a freedom from condemnation. God will do what He wants to do in your life because of who you are. Matter of fact, if you read 90% of the people that come to Jesus, they believed in Jesus, but they had alternative lifestyles. I don't mean like homosexual. I mean like outside of the faith. A lot of the people came to faith because God did a miracle in their life long before they deemed themselves worthy. So he looked at him and he, he said, man, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their eyes were open and Jesus sternly warned them and said, see that no one knows about it, but they went away and spread his fame through all the district. I love this. So in the modern church, we tell people to tell people and nobody tells anybody. But back then we told them not to tell anybody and they told everybody. I'm getting ready to, 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 to change our church um, evangelical strategy to keep it to yourself. Just see if it works, right? Because here's what I really believe. I believe that when God does something in your life, He doesn't just do it for you. He does it for us. I think that the purpose that God does every miracle is one, He wants to provide for you, but He also wants to use that as a springboard for faith in somebody else's life. When people come to me for prayer and they're like, Pastor, I don't fill in the blank. I, I don't believe God can do this. I don't, I don't know how this is going to work out. Then I begin to speak faith in their life because over and over and over again, I've seen God do the miraculous in my life and in other people's life. And what happens is, is as I share with them what God has done, it grows their faith. So see, what happens sometimes is God needs to do a miracle in your life so it's the springboard in somebody else's. Anything that you think that God does in your life that's all to be kept to yourself generally is not God. God called us to grow in community and in fellowship, not in isolation. So here's a problem. So if, if faith is the first ingredient, I think, I think that the second ingredient that we have to really lean into is that, is it God's will? And really more importantly is unbelief. 
Um, I love the way, if, if you've got your Bible, Mark chapter 9, 20 through 25. Uh, I love this, this whole transaction. But it says this, And they brought the boy to him, him being Jesus. And when he saw the Spirit, immediately it convulsed, uh, convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground, and he rolled about, foaming on the mouth. So basically, this kid is having a seizure slap in front of Jesus. Like a foamy mouth seizure. Now, first service, we had like 800 first responders here. And it was funny because I want you just to imagine this little boy, which this will break my heart, but can you imagine walking up and this little boy falls on the ground, he's having a seizure, foam coming out of his mouth. And like what I expect Jesus to do is like rush down to him or, or I expect some, some heightened like response. But watch what Jesus does. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been going on? Can you imagine you're in like you're in like an ambulance situation and they hand you a form. Can you tell us how long this has been going? How long have you been bleeding to death? Can you tell us that? How long have you been like like I, if I'm dad, I want like Jesus to snap to it. I mean, he, you would never do this, right? But how many of you all have ever wrestled with with a little bit of frustration with God going, "Hey Jesus, can you hurry your yourself up a little bit. Like, I know you're God and you control the universe and time and all that stuff, but how about getting to it? Because obviously your watch is broke. I needed this 20 minutes ago and you're still thinking about it. Remember in the beginning when I said Jesus doesn't do things the way we expect Him to? Part of being a son or daughter of God is figuring out that we can relax because if God is in control, we don't need to panic. So dad is probably a little panicked People around him are freaking out. Jesus is asking medical questions. He goes on and he says this. Um, uh, the dad responded and he said this from childhood. And it often casts him into the fire, into water to destroy him. Because here's the thing. everything, Every time you get in a need of a miracle, you feel like it's about to destroy you. Every time you're really on the brink of, of needing God to do something that only God can do, it's going to be because you think that if He doesn't, your life is over. God, if you don't financially break through, I'm going to lose the house. God, if you don't financially break through, I'm, I'm, kids aren't going to eat. God, if you don't, if you don't heal them, they're going to die. God, if you don't, if you don't heal this relationship, it's going to come to an end. You, regardless, what you don't realize is that you're one moment from a miracle. Problem is, I feel like this guy more than I don't. I love this. The guy makes this statement, and it would kind of make me mad, but I think Jesus understands. He says this, but if you can do anything. But Jesus, if you can do anything. You're, can I tell you a frustration of mine is people go, hey, can I do anything for you? If not, I'll just pray. If I can't bring you some bojangles, then I'll just talk to the God of the universe on your behalf. Do you, do you, we undersell our ability to connect with the God that created everything. And, and here's the thing. God said this. He said, when my people pray to me, I hear them. That means that every time you're like, God, He goes, what? The God of the universe is solely focused on what you're saying in that moment. And more than that, it says that Jesus sits at the right hand of a Father constantly inter making intercession for our needs well, what's he doing? Well, he's talking. To, he's trying to talk God into doing what's in your best interest. All right, but time out. Let's go back to John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He sent His Son. So, so the God the Father loves us so much that He was willing to let His own Son die for us. 
The son that died and rose from the dead took all of our sin, all of our sickness, all of that stuff, went back and sat down at the right hand of the Father, right? Trying to talk God into doing something for you that God already wants to do. Listen, that's like trying to talk me into Chick-fil-A. Like, it, you have me at, you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't even have to get it all out of your mouth and I'm already in line. God is that way for you. And the guy looks at Jesus and says, but if you, have, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. It's also ironic that, that what goes on in your life never just affects you. Notice the son needs healing, but dad uses the term us. Because when you're invested, what is you becomes we. He looks at him and he says, God, can you help us? I love this. And Jesus said to him, if you can, Jesus kind of got a little torqued. I don't blame him. If you can, he's like, who are you talking to, pal? Like, I'm Jesus. You ever felt like Jesus needed to respond to you that way? Like, why are you praying like this is a question mark, if I can? Like, you know that dirt you're standing on? I made it. You know the, the oxygen you're breathing? I made it. The clothes you're wearing? Me. The house you live in? Also me. Why, why do people struggle with tithing and offering? Because they don't realize how, how big God is. Once you realize God is the author and the finisher of everything in your life, man, giving you 10% back is like not a big deal. Because I've answered the question, if I can. If I can. He goes on. He said, all things are possible for one who believes. Notice he didn't say one that was perfect, one that acted right, one that, was, that had all their junk together. Just said, man, anything is possible for people who believe in me. And he goes on and he says this. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. And I'm like, dude, this is me. But help my unbelief. The minute you believe, begin to believe God for any miracle in your life, you're going to have to have two things. One, you're going to have to have faith. But you're going to have to battle the spirit of unbelief. It's not just you. For a long time, I thought I was the only one who ever wrestled with God, I believe, but even so helped my unbelief. Because they sound like contrary statements, but can we be honest, inside of all of us is a contrary statement. Like if I pray and you're sick and, and you immediately get better, well, I'm good. Like I had all the faith in the world. But what if, the, what if it takes an as-you-go statement for them to be healed? What if it takes a week for them to be healed or a month or a year or three years or five years? Do I have the faith in that moment to believe but help my unbelief? Because at some point there's a battle. I promise you this, when Job was going through his junk, there was a help my unbelief statement. Like Jesus, I believe. Ish. People always ask me, how do I battle unbelief? Here's your, here's, your, here's your thing for the day. So if you think your home address in your mind, I do this all the time. So like I'm going to give you the church address is 3041 Belmont Mount Herman Road in Burlington, North Carolina, 27215. If you think that over and over, whatever your home address is in your mind, but you count out loud, loud 1 to 10, you'll figure, just do it. Just think your home address. Now let's count out loud. Keep doing it. 1 to 10. Ready? 1, 2, 3. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Here's an impossibility. You can't think your home address and speak one to ten. Your mind will go to one number or the other. Either you, right? Because here's the thing your mind goes where your mouth leads it. So when you battle unbelief, what do we do? Man, I begin to confess the, the things of God. I begin to confess what God has done historically in my life because what He's done historically points me to what He's going to do in the future. God, you've never let me down. 
Matter of fact, there was a time when my wife was sick and, and literally we went to the ER and they said, man, if you'd come here just a few hours later, she would die. But you know what? It was the, it was the only, only the hand of God would have led us there because she wasn't really sick enough that we thought she needed to go to the ER. But it was just a God-driven thing, right? There was that moment when, when you're riding down the road and you look down for just a minute and you look up and there's a car head on and you swerve at the last minute. Look, I'm not that good of a driver. I hit curbs, right? So like, I believe that that's the providential hand of God watching out for me. There were moments where, where this should have happened, but it didn't. And it was the hand of God. And this shouldn't have worked out, but it did. I can't take credit for that. And I can't believe that it's just all coincidence. So if it's not, I have to understand this, that, that there are seasons where I have to fuel the faith that God put inside of me. How do I do that? By talking out loud to myself about the things that God has already done. So here's the thing. If you're a Christian, you need to understand this, that you believe, but you're going to have to get help with your unbelief. It's one of the reasons we come to church. Paul said this. He said, man, you need to bear one another's burdens. So when you're praying for something, I pray for something with you. But I'm also going to tell you five stories about how God has provided something similar for me or somebody I know. And in doing that, we're going to fan the flame of faith that's in your life until it rises up for more than just embers. Because sometimes leaning on your own faith is not enough. So he goes on and he says, man, help my unbelief. And Jesus saw that a crowd was, uh, came running together and he rebuked the unclean spirit and, say, and said to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out and never enter, enter him again. Here's the thing. I think that when Jesus sets you free and when God really provides breakthrough, you never need to go back through that circle again. I think that, that oftentimes when God does a miracle in your life, it's a miracle that oftentimes doesn't have to be repeated. Um, another thing is this, is that sometimes you just got to press through. Um, everybody wants a microwave Jesus. I do, man, I want a Jiffy Pop Jesus, like just, and it's there, right? Like microwave popcorn, like under, under three minutes and I'm eating. The problem is, is this, is that there's a difference between, there's a difference between something that's homemade and something that's microwaved. I love burgers. You can probably tell. Um, I love burgers. And, but here's the thing, a, a, a burger on the grill, a steak on the grill is better than one at a restaurant, 10 to one, because I can season it. I can make it exactly the way I want it. And, and that kind of thing. And God is the same way. God says, sometimes I have to let some time happen so that you develop better. Sometimes I've got to let you struggle in some things, not because I don't love you, because I love you enough to mature you. Because here's the thing that I believe. I believe that God wants to do what you can't do, but I believe that God wants you to do what you can. Listen, I did not mind tying my shoe for my son when he was four, but he's got a job now. I'm not, he's not going to walk up and go, tie my shoe. <laughs> Are your hands broken? Are you having some breakdown? You can tie your shoe yourself. You know, I you anybody remember little kids when you brush their teeth for them? That's creepy if they're in college. But do you remember those days when they would cry and stand in front of the bathroom saying, "I don't want it," and you just stood there and you had to wait it out? Can I say this? God loves you enough sometimes to let you endorse some, some stretching moments, not because He doesn't love you, but because He does. Because what was cute when you were seven is not cute when you're 17. What's cute when you're 12 is not cute when you're 20. Just like you mature physically, God wants you to mature spiritually. 
And He's not always going to do a miracle when what you really need is maturity. Now I will say that again because nobody wants to hear it. God will not do a miracle in your life if what you really need is maturity. Does this make sense? Like some people don't need a financial miracle. They need a budget. <laughs> told you. Told you. It wouldn't be an amen, but it was good. Some, some, people, some people don't need a marriage breakthrough. What they need is, is focused excellence in their marriage. You, you need to go get a bottle of whatever you like and sit down with that woman or that man and love on them. What, what, what you need to do is plan a date night. Some people don't need God to reveal Himself. What you need to do is open your Bible. I mean, the thing will read to you now, you version. We even put a code QR up, man. It's like on your phone in 30 seconds and it will read to you. Like this is the laziest season for following God ever in the history of humanity. And we're like, I'm too tired to hit play. <laughs> See, sometimes what we think we need is a miracle, but what we really need is just maturity. Never, never confuse the two. But here's the thing. Sometimes what we need to do is press through Mark chapter 5, 25 through 34. And there was a woman who had a uh, discharge of blood for 12 years. Can we just be honest? Basically, this woman had her period for 12 years. Now, now that sounds like an awful day to anybody on the face of this planet. But, um, yeah, I got women going, that's awful. Jesus, show up. Right? Okay, we're getting there. He's going to show up in a minute. But... But here's the thing, in that culture, what that meant was she had to stay outside the city and she could only hang out with other women that were unclean in the same way that she was. So she only hung out, one, she didn't see her husband probably for 12 years, but two, she only hung out with other women who were on their period for 12 years. Now, I don't know if there's ever been a purgatory, but that would be it. I grew up with three sisters. I feel like I know what this woman went through on a certain level. There were days where I just hid under the bed and just just waved a white flag. I'm evil. I don't know, right? And so, but what happened was if the, is if this lady tried to come into town, literally she could be stoned for because everybody she touched would become unclean like she is. But this lady hit critical mass where she's like, it's better to be dead than it is to go on like this. She hit a place where she was more concerned about touching Jesus and having the chance of a miracle than she was what anybody thought or what it cost her. See, sometimes to press through something means you've got to be willing to endure the consequences that it takes to have what Jesus promised you. Let's read. There was a woman who had discharge of blood for 12 years and had suffered much under many physicians. She'd spent all she had and, there was, no, uh, and was no better, but actually grew worse. See, sometimes when we're believing for things to get better, they actually only get worse. And she said this, she had heard reports about Jesus uh, and came up behind Him in a crowd and touched His garments. I want you to pay attention to the first beginning of verse 27. It says this, that she had heard reports about Jesus. Remember when I told you Jesus never did a miracle in your life just for you? These are obviously people that Jesus had done something for that were talking about Jesus that gave her enough faith to leave the fringe and come into the press. See, your job, remember that last part of our thing, no grow and go, is to go tell people about Jesus so that they want to start the process of knowing who He is. He goes on and, and, and so she, she, Jesus comes up, she comes up behind Jesus and she touches His garment. And uh, for she said, if I touch His garment, I'll be made well. And immediately the, the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus perceiving in Himself that power had gone out of Him, immediately turned... Uh, about in the crowd and said, who touched me? 
Now, this isn't a crowd like, hey, we're in a group of people. This is like a concert. This is like back in the day when you used to go and we held up lighters and not phones because we were a way cooler generation than you all in a crowd. Okay, maybe not. And this is a crowd that like, I don't know if you've ever been in one like where you had to go to the bathroom and like you knew you couldn't get out. So it's just like, I'm just praying God that I have great bladder control or that like it's so close you feel like you could like pick your feet up and the, the press of people would hold you up. And Jesus is in that kind of press and he turns around to his disciples and he does this. He just does like a 360 and he goes, okay, who touched me? Jesus, you've asked some dumb questions in your life like, what do you have to feed these people? Or, you know, Jesus asked some weird questions. I love, I love one of the, and his disciples said to him, and I love that they didn't name a disciple because it's multiple disciples who said this. They said, uh, you see the crowd pressing around you, yet you say, who touched me? Have you lost your mind? And he looked around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Here's the problem. Most people that want a miracle aren't honest enough with God to tell him the whole truth. Jesus, I love you, but I struggle. Jesus, I want to believe, but I don't. Jesus, I need this, but I'm afraid. See, sometimes we're afraid to give Jesus the whole truth. But pressing into Jesus means that we're honest. Here's the thing. He's the God of the universe. He already knows. If you ever ask your kid a question, like we have one kid. So like something would be broke. Like we come in the kitchen and a coffee cup shattered in the floor. And I go, honey, did you break a cup? No. So we bring our son in there. And we go, like, hey, Bo, did you break a cup? I don't think so. I'm not sure like Holmes people. But I'm like, well, your mom didn't break it, and I didn't break it. Were you in the cabinet? No. <laughs> Do you know how it got broke? I don't know. Or are you the only person in the room? Makes it. Here's the thing. Sometimes we look at God and we lie to God. Please don't make me feel like I'm the only one who's ever lied to God. God, I just believe you can do this with all my heart. When what I think God wants to do is me to say this. God said this, that, that we cry, Abba, Father, which literally means Daddy. When we identify ourselves as being sons or daughters of God, and we say, God, look, man. When I was in kindergarten, I used to cry because I didn't know my mom would pick me up. By the seventh grade, I was over it. Do you know why? Because my mom had developed enough of a track record that I knew if she was a minute late or 30 minutes late, she was going to show up. So what if we looked at God and said, God, I just need you to prove to me that you're going to show up. I cry, Abba, Father. I cry to my, to my Heavenly Father, my Dad. But God, I'm scared right now because I don't know if you can do the miraculous thing that I need you to do. Is God going to punish you for that? No, I honestly think God honors that. Because one, it shows that you're aware of where you're at in your faith journey. Because the next time you pray that prayer, after God comes through, right, then you can go, hey God, look, i got a frame of reference now. You, show up, you showed up here, so now I can trust you for here because you're still the same Abba Father. Now the third miracle you're going to need, I can trust you because I've seen you show up here and here. Now if you're 30 minutes late, I don't wig out because i got some track record. Does this make any sense with you? 
Now, I'm doing what I can do, but the things that only you can do, I'm going to trust you to do them when and how you choose. I love this. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So, so here's what we know. We know that, that faith is a huge part of what we do. We know that that dealing with the unbelief and realizing that it's the will of God is a big thing. We understand that pressing through. The last thing I want to share with you is this, is that it's never about you. I keep leading up to this. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It comes from Luke chapter 5, 17 through 26. And on one of those days he was teaching. I love that on one of those days. We're not even going to tell you when it's one of those days. Obviously somebody in their 40s wrote this. Um, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there and who had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and the power of God was with him to heal. Now this is great. So Jesus is teaching in somebody's house and all the, all the religious people pressed into the front because they basically wanted to trip Jesus up and argue with him and whatever. And behold, some men bring in a bed with a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him to lay him before Jesus. Because the minute God does something in your life, you're going to really, I mean, really does something in your life, you're going to want him to do it in everybody's life that you can find. Like, it's just a reality. So what do these do? Now, remember, it's the Middle East. They grab their friend who is paralyzed, right? So he's on a, on a bed. We'll just, call it, we'll just call him Matt. Another bad joke. So one guy in the front gets two, two handles of the mat. The guy in the back gets them. And here they go walking. They walk. We don't know how far, but they're walking in the Middle East. It's hotter than a camel there. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it is. And so they show up to this house. And I'm going to jump ahead of what I'm reading. And there's no room for them. They go to the front door. <sighs> Give us a minute. Now, poor dude on the back's getting just jostled all right all over the place. They go to the windows, can't get him in the windows. So they go up on top of this house and they start tearing a hole through the roof. Because that's what Christians do. Listen to this. It says um, in verse 19, but finding no way uh, to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down, let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst of Jesus. Now, they made this sound way cleaner than it was. First of all, this is probably an adobe tiled home. So Jesus is in teaching. These rascals are climbing up on the roof, which I'm sure was super quiet. Now, if it's me and I'm going to go through the roof, I'm going to do the megaphone. I'm going to like pickaxe through the roof. Then I'm going to go, hey, Jesus. Hey. Boo-hoo. See my finger? Yeah, can you come up here because Matt needs to be healed. Not these boys. Scripture says that they tore a hole in the roof to lower him down. First of all, I would have been saved when my friends started trying to lower me down on a rope. Because my friends are not known for being the sharpest knives in the drawer, right? I'm a, but Jesus, I'm just assuming you're real at this point. So they, they lower them down, but you got to understand that in the meantime, while they're tearing a hole through the roof because it's adobe, the whole room is filling with dust. Everybody in there is coughing. I think everybody but Jesus who teaches like He doesn't know anything. People are wiping the dust out of their eyes. Like, what in the world? People are whispering among themselves, Jesus, are you not going to stop these guys? Like, can we forget that they're tearing a hole in somebody's house? This isn't of God. And Jesus just lets it roll. They lower this guy down. Verse 20, it said, and when he saw their faith, see, sometimes your faith isn't enough for, for them. Sometimes, sometimes I don't have enough faith for me. Sometimes I have to go steal some of your faith. 
Sometimes I need somebody else to believe God for me for what I can't believe God for myself for. Sometimes I, I need somebody to pray for me for things that I don't have the courage to pray over myself. And Jesus said, the scripture says that when they looked up and saw this man being lowered down, and he saw the faith of not only the man on the cot, but of his friends, said this. When he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. Verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? Whether it's easy to say your sins are forgiven or say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up, picked up his bed that he'd been laying on, and went home. And in amazement seized them all. And they glorified God, and they were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Here's what I believe. I believe that miracles happen so that people can see the hand and the providence of God. Because whether it's in your life or in somebody else's, when you really see a miracle, something that only God can do, you can't leave but going, that's a miracle. That's God. I just wonder, just wonder as we come to close, if this question isn't true. That there are people that are here today, whether they're watching online or they're here in house, and they say, you know what, Pastor, I'm in, I, I need a miracle. God's given me the faith. God gave you all the faith you ever needed to believe Him for whatever you need to believe Him for. I, I, I have the faith. You know what? I have some unbelief, but I, I think that it's the will of God. You know, you know I, I think this. I, I think that, that sometimes I'm going to have to press through that not everything with God is instantaneous. And I also don't believe that everything that I'm going through is just for me. I think that God can use what I'm going through to help other people find faith in their, their journey. As you bow your head and close your eyes, I just wonder this. If you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor, I'm here, but what I really need is a miracle. I need a miracle in my finance. I need a miracle in faith. I need a fear just in my physical self, in my financial, in my relational. If you're here, and I see we just slip your hand up. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray every. With all these hands raised, Father, right now, we just come before you, God, for every person that's reaching out, God, and they need you to do what only you can do. Father, they need a miracle. They need something that only you can work out. Father, right now, will you reveal yourself to them? God, will you begin to put in motion those things that bring this stuff to pass, God? If it's preparation, God, prepare their heart for a miracle. God, if it's, in, if it's in walking it out, Father, will you just give them the strength to walk it out? And Father, if not, will you, if they're ready, Father, will you just lay it in their lap? God, so that they can give you glory, so that they can testify to what you're doing in their lives. Every head still bowed, every eye still closed. If you're here and you say, you know what, Pastor, I'm here. and What I really need is a relationship with God. That's you. We just slip your hand up. I just want to pray over you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray with you. Thank you so much. Anybody else? I don't believe anybody does anything alone here. Can we, can we just pray together out loud? Dear Heavenly Father, right now I invite you into my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Make me right with you. Today I declare that I'm a son or daughter of the Most High God. In Jesus' name, amen. Give them a round of applause. Biggest decision you can make. 
Thank you for being part of our Thrive Tribe. If you want to partner with this ministry and what the Lord is doing here at Thrive, visit thrivechurchonline.com and click on the Give tab. Help us reach more people just like you by rating and subscribing to this podcast. You don't want to miss what's coming next.